So we're going to be looking at Second Peter 3. Uh, and then we're also going to touch other passages. In the time I meet, we're going to touch somewhere in the book of Revelation. I intend to still deal with a few other symbols in the book of Revelation as it relates to the passing away of the earth and the world. So Second Peter 3. I also want you to be a little bit smart with your Bibles in terms of moving on to the passages that I'm going to be quoting so that we can go a little bit fast. But Second Peter 3, let's look at verse number 1. There the word says, This second epistle, beloved, I will now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Now, I want you to know that. It's very important. Now, here Peter was uh, writing unto him. It's like he's putting them in remembrance. Now, if you are putting remembrance, it simply means something of that nature have been spoken before. It is perhaps something that you know. And perhaps you have kind of forgotten. Or on the other hand, because of the importance of the subject, you needed to be remembered continuously so that it can be stuck in your mind and you act on it. So Peter is writing and he's saying the aim of this is to put them in remembrance. Okay? And we're going to find out what he kind of remembered them or is putting remembrance putting them in remembrance of as we progress. Now verse number 2 says, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before, know that, by the holy prophets and of the commandment of all the apostles of our Lord and Savior. I want you to know that. What he's trying to remind them of now is what the prophets spoke about. And then again, what even the Lord himself said, and what they, the apostles, have kind of spoken about as well. So, there are certain things that the Lord said, which the apostles reiterated to the people. And now he's writing to remind them. And don't you forget, this is supposed to be his second letter. Is that alright? Okay, verse 3 says, Knowing this false, remember now, he's trying to remind them, what is he trying to remind them, knowing this force, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Okay? So he's trying to remind them, don't, don't forget that this kind of thing is going to go on. People will say, where is the promise of his coming? Alright? And then we're going to look as we progress when or what was the kind of promise that was made in terms of his coming that he's trying to remind them of. We're go to verse 5. For these then willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. And that takes you to Genesis 1, 6 and 9. You don't need to read that. You can write it down. Whereby the world that then was, not verse 6, being overflowed with water perished. What world was that? The world of Noah. We want to reference that. You can look at Genesis 7, 11, then 21, 23. Okay? In case you want to reference that. But it says, whereby the world that then was, which was the world of Noah. So, take your mind back to what we said. The heaven and earth to pass away. Or this war is coming to an end. So you need to understand. One war, which was the wall of Noah, passed away. So, what constituted the word of Noah? It was simply the people in the days of Noah. It had nothing to do with the earth. It had nothing to do with what you term heaven. But the world was made up of the people that existed at that time. Is that okay? And the word world actually is cosmos, 
which speaks of the orderly arrangement of things. In other words, the system of man or the systematic arrangement or principle by which man lives at a particular age. Is that okay? Alright, verse number 7. But the heavens and the earth which are now. Now, look at that. The first one said the war that there was. Now, the next thing, but the heavens and the earth which are now. Now, the heaven and earth which are now, it was a war. Does that make sense? Because the first war was also made of heaven and earth. Okay? But now it said, but the heavens and the earth which are now, by the same world, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment, and perdition of what? Ungodly men. Now that connects you back to what happened in the days of Noah. Which are the people that were destroyed? Ungodly men. So the judgment is against ungodly men. Not the earth. Does that make sense? When Noah's world was judged, it was the ungodly people that were judged. And God is saying even this one is the same thing. Now, as we progress, I will need to know this. Basically, it's not talking about your world. Is that alright? I'm going to make you see it. The, the heaven and the earth that now is, was referring to the Judaistic system of religious worship. It had nothing to do with your world. I'll make you see that. Verse 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. He quoted that from Psalm 90, verse number 1. Peter himself. There is something I also want you to understand as I give you these keys to the understanding of the word of God. Anytime you're reading and people make certain statements, just know that they are copying or they are quoting from the Old Testament. And most often when they quote from the Old Testament, they are trying to say this is the fulfillment of what the prophet said. Because remember, he is reminding them of what the holy prophet said and what the Lord said. So, if it is what the Lord said and what the Holy Prophet said, automatically it's talking about the fulfillment of what they said. Does that make sense? It is similar to what he said uh, on the day of Pentecost, when he simply said, this is that which is spoken by Prophet Joel on the last day. Remember that? Good. Okay, go to verse number six, verse number nine. He said, the Lord is most like concerning his promise. What was the promise? Of his coming. And what was coming supposed to be? Of judgment. As some men can slackness, but his long suffering to us was not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what? Repentance. Now, let me say this before I progress, but I'm going to buttress that much later. You know what Paul Peter is saying here? Remember he said, like it was in the days of Noah, the ungodly men perished. Is that okay? Now he's saying, God is having long suffering. Not intending that any man should do what? Perish. You know what he's saying? God is being patient for the Jewish people to repent so that God's judgment that is coming to them in AD 70, they will escape it. The long suffering was some 40 years period. You know why? Because Jesus was crucified AD 30. And Jerusalem fell in AD 70. So the long suffering was 40 good years that God allowed for the Jews to repent of their own belief towards Jesus and his word. Did they get that? I'll make you see all of it. Then verse 10 I said, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And the queen of heaven shall pass away with a great noise. And the elements shall melt with fire and heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Okay? Now, sometimes people talk about this, talk about fire and heat, elements in the earth, and they are talking about things like gold, things like silver, things like bauxite, things like diamond, things like maybe oil. It's not dealing with that. Elements, actually, stone kiln in the Greek speaks of elementary principles. Right? And the elementary principles are actually the laws 
the principles of the laws. Alright? That is why you find in Galatians 4. If you take time to read it, it talks about those who are who were under the elements of the wall. It talks about the principles of the laws of Moses. Thou shalt not eat, thou shalt not drink, and all of that. The Bible says all of these things were guiding the people until the coming of Christ. Galatians 4. Take time to read that. And that is why he says, Here I was supposed to be a son, but he's an heir, he's a servant. Right? Galatians 4, verse number 1 down. And that makes it all understand what he was trying to say is Israel was supposed to be a son, but in the truth said they are servants and they are under tutors. Alright? And what was supposed to be that? He's talking about the application of the law. This is what you call elements. Elements have nothing to do with your mineral resources. We're talking about elementary principles. So even some of the traditions that you were holding on to before, they were elements that have to melt when Christ shows up the true knowledge. Men, praise God. Verse number 11. Seeing that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of the Lord. And I want you to know that because I'm going to say something a little bit on that. Wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Alright? Praise the Lord. If you want to reference all of that, where Peter is speaking from, you can look at Psalm 50. Just write it down. Psalm 50 verse number 3. Isaiah 34 verse number 4. Micah 1 verse number 1. You can check all of that out. Praise God. Then verse 13 of 2 Peter 3 says, Nevertheless, we according to his promise. Look for a new heaven and a new earth, wherein dwelleth what? Righteousness. You can reference Isaiah 65 verse 17. Isaiah 66 verse 22. Isaiah himself spoke of the new earth and the new heaven. Talking about the earth that shall roll away like a scroll. Amen. The heaven shall roll away like a scroll. You know, I've watched ministers preach on this and begin to describe how the heaven is going to fold up. I don't know which heaven they are talking about. But the heavens that guide the children of Israel rolled away on the day of the Lord. And I'm going to explain the day of the Lord. I just pray time permit me to speak on this tonight. Verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent. What are you looking for? A new heaven and a new earth. Is that okay? Be diligent that ye be fine of him in peace without spot and blameless. Praise the living God. There is something I want to say here. When the Bible actually talks of historical events, generally, it speaks in the literal language, just like the creation of the world. Okay? Creation of heaven and earth. These are kind of historical facts. Is that okay? It talks in a literal language. But when it comes to prophecies, they are generally wrapped up in symbols. So when it comes to prophecy, heaven is no longer literal. It becomes symbolic. Earth is no longer literal. It becomes symbolic. In other words, when you are reading in context, you should be able to find out who or what the writer is addressing. Is that alright? Praise the living God. So, we find that there are heavenly things who belong to the dispensation. Of the Jewish people, which are basically the laws, the statutes, the ordinances. And often they call this thing the spiritualia of Judaism. Thou shall not eat, thou shall not drink. Is that okay? All of those rituals, they are ten spiritualia of Judaism. These were the heavens. They were the thing that were controlling the people of that time. Amen? And these are the things which are going to be rolled away or melt with five and eight. There was also what we call the earthly things. For instance, we have the literal Jerusalem. And then the material temple of the land of Canaan. Is that alright? These are material and physical things. These were earth which was also enlightened to be shaken or removed. And I'm going to explain a little bit of this so that you can understand. For instance, 
To prove the fact that the earth abides forever. In the book of Psalms, Psalm 105, verse number, 104, verse number 5, the Bible says, you can just write it down. David said that the land, which means the foundation of the earth, that it shall not be removed forever. He spoke about the land of the earth, that the foundation of the earth cannot be removed forever. Psalm 104, verse number 5. Is that alright? And then Ecclesiastes, Solomon himself made a statement, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse number 4. And he said, One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh. But what happened? The earth abided forever. So then, if the heavens and the earth is passing away, then of course we know. He's not talking about the physical heaven in terms of the atmosphere or where God dwells. Neither is he talking about the globe or the earth. Because the scripture makes it abundantly clear. One generation comet, one generation passed away, but the earth does what? Abided forever. And of course you can find that what Peter is saying as it was in the days of Noah, one world passed away in the days of Noah, we do know that the earth was still intact after that world passed away. Am I right? In fact, he did explain that it has to do with the ungodly people. And so you find out when Peter was talking about ungodly people, who were the ungodly people? All those who were not believing in Christ or who refused to believe in Christ. They were the ungodly people. Hallelujah. Are you following? Praise the Lord. So Peter said, when all this thing goes away, there have to be a new heaven and a new earth. And he said, it has to be done shortly, as it were. Remember what I said. Peter tells his reminders, or the readers, that he wants to remind them to be mindful of the ways of the prophets. Hallelujah. Now, if you read the Bible, you only see, for instance, Isaiah in particular, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. You see about the passing the world, the heaven and the earth. But I don't know if of all those things that the prophet said, there was one particular heaven that really passed away, or one particular geographical earth that passed away. Was there any? Can you find anyone in the Bible? But all of them said, the heaven and the earth will do what? Will pass away. So understand what he's saying here. There was no literal word. I mean, there was no word spoken by any of those prophets that was fulfilled literally. That when Isaiah said, the earth is going to pass away, then what earth passed away in his time. There was nothing like that. But of course, every time he made the statement that the earth is passing away, the heaven is passing away, something definitely happens. And something I want you to understand is any time any of the prophets use the word, the heaven and earth is passing away, is always connected to the day of the Lord. Okay? And that's exactly what Peter was saying. When Peter was speaking, he was connecting to the melting of the heaven and earth towards the day of the Lord. I'm going to explain that just a little bit as well. So, just keep this in mind that Peter had previously written one letter before. He has written, he was supposed to be a second letter. Is that okay? Alright. If you look at First Peter 4 verse number 4, I mean 4 verse number 7, he says, First Peter 4 verse number 7, this is what he said. By the end of all things is at hand, but also of the commandments of all the apostles and of our Lord and Savior. Look at verse 2. If you look at First Peter 4, look at verse 2, look at verse 7, you see what I've just said. All sin, but the end of all sin is at hand. That is very important. What things were they talking about? Amen. The end of all things is what? Is at hand. When you say something is at hand, it's not something that's going to be futuristic. It's not something of some years and years and years to come. It's just like John will say the kingdom of God is at hand. 
is close by. It's something that is just around the corner. And he said, the end of all things is at hand. Peter speaking. Praise the living God. So, if you go back to Second uh, Peter 3, verse number 3. Talking about the last day, Peter now said, Second Peter 3, verse 3. Peter now said, the scoffers will come in the last days, saying, where is the promise of his coming? That's verse 3 and 4, Second Peter 3. What last days was he not dealing with? He wasn't talking about your age. Amen. Don't always forget the statement of Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 34. This generation shall not pass away before all these things be fulfilled. And Peter speaking said, the end of all things is at hand. The scoffers here was the same Jewish people who were saying, here goes Jesus. He said, this city is going to be destroyed. For how long now did he say so? Where is he? Where is the destruction that he said? Are you getting what I'm talking about? These were the scoffers. He's not talking about you. You're talking about the Jewish people. Jesus promised judgment on the temple, but they were still worshiping in the temple. How many of you remember that? For 40 years, the temple was still there after Jesus had died. Jesus died AD 30, I, rem- I remind you, and the temple was fully destroyed AD 70. That's some 40 years. So within this period, here where the Jewish people say, okay, you said the temple is going to be destroyed, but here is the temple. Praise the Lord. Are you following it? Now, I would like you to look at some of the second Peter chapter 2 verse 15. 2.15, uh, let me see there. I just want to pick it up here and it says, uh, talking about God, spend on the, wo- the old world, bringing in the flood upon the wall of the ungodly. Okay? I want you to know the word ungodly. And then, Second Peter 3 now, 6, it's not saying, we have had a word that then was being overflowed with water perish. So we understand in the first place that the perishing of the ungodly sinners equals the end of the world. Does that make sense? Are you there with me? You know, look at that. Did you see that in your Bible? Second Peter 2.15 is talking about the flood coming upon the wall of the ungodly. It is properly spelled out. The wall of the ungodly. Talking about the days of Noah. Is that alright? So, Peter is writing the second letter and making reference to that again in Second Peter 3.16. We have about the wall that then was. Which wall was that? The wall of the ungodly in the days of Noah. Being overflowed with water perish. So we find that the perishing of the ungodly wall equals the end of that wall. Does that make sense to you? Come on, are you there with me? So we find that the people who are supposed to be the scoffers exactly the same way they were speaking to Noah. Noah said judgment was going to come. Is that alright? And they were saying, where, where, where is the promise? You said, you said the wall is going to be judged and things like that. They were morally like the scoffers in the days of Jesus and the other apostles. So now when the judgment came, the ungodly who were now the scoffers, who were the people who didn't believe in what Noah said, they were wiped out. That's why it's unfortunate when you read the book of Matthew and people talk to you and they begin to teach about um, uh, two shall be on the field, one shall be taken. How many of you have read that before? And they make you to understand that the word taken means to be raptured. That is very unfortunate. The word taken means killed. The flood came and took them. Not Jesus took them. The flood came and took them all away. It was a flood that took them. Luke account simply said the flood came and killed them. But the word kill is not being emphasized. They emphasized Matthew 
and said, the flood came and took them away. And instead of even seeing in the light of what the scripture said, I'm sure they are removing the flood and making the flood Jesus. Jesus coming to rapture them away. That means two shall be on the bed, one shall be taken. And I remember one minister in the U.S. in those days, in the 70s, who used to go out in the night at about 12, because the Bible says at 12 midnight there was a cry. So he goes out, leave the bedroom, and make sure he doesn't stay under any shade, because he doesn't want to miss the rapture. He won't stay under a tree, he won't stay under a plant. You know, he comes out every night, because it has to be any moment. Like a thing. I'm talking of a minister, mighty preacher of God's word. Hmm? Okay, so, follow that. So, when the wall of the ungodly was taken away, or destroyed, the earth was still there. Am I right? Because Noah, who is a righteous man, came and inherited the earth. Genesis 8. Even that is what Peter is saying. So, every judgment that is coming, is always coming for the ungodly, not for the righteous. The truth is you can't be judged because Jesus was judging your place. Your judgment as a child of God is a form of discipline. You can't be judged for the sins of Adam. You can't be judged for any sin you ever committed. The judgment was laid upon Jesus. God's children doesn't face the judgment of this world. First Peter, I mean First Corinthians 11 said that precisely. So that, so that when the world is judged, you will not be condemned together with the world. Is that alright? Praise God. So the only judgment you can face in the sight of God is discipline. But as for the sins of Adam, as for the sins of the world, no, 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 no. That was passed on Jesus. Amen? Okay, so like I said, God was waiting for these people for 40 good years for them to repent. And that is why, because God was having long suffering. You know, when people use it for evangelism, to me, they speak out of context. God is long suffering that the wicked, you know. <laughs> it's no problem, you can use that. But if you want to follow in context and what Peter was speaking, he was talking about the Jewish people. Who God gave 40 good years to repent of their evils. Of unbelief in the message of Jesus. But they will not. Praise God. So, the 40 years to me was like an extra grace that God gave to them. Amen? So, the day of the Lord basically is the day of judgment and it's not necessarily speaking about you in context. Because you see, even in the book of First and Second Thessalonians, the Lord of Peter, I mean the Paul, he spoke about the day of the Lord. Amen? How many of you have read that? In First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, Paul. Anytime you see the day of the Lord... I want you to understand that it's dealing with God, dealing with a specific people. I'll make you see that from scriptures. It's dealing with a specific people. Anytime you see the day of the Lord, you know that God is angry and is about to come in judgment. It's not just a tomorrow thing. Now, first and second Thessalonians were written in AD 50 and 51. So that's how many years before 70 AD? Some 20 years. Can you get that? Paul wrote that letter some 20 years before AD 70. So if it was one enough, the day of the Lord is coming. It is not as if it is still in the future. He was speaking to a people. And most of these were believers. And most of them were Jewish people. Who finally got to believe and then the Gentiles in particular. Amen. So anytime God uses the word the day of the Lord, he's talking about he's in the process of judging the people. And more often and again, he uses other nations. It's not as if he's going to be a thing he will do by himself. Amen? He uses other armies, other nations to judge the people. I'm going to give you a simple illustration on that. Okay, talk with me. Let's look at the destruction of Egypt by Nebuchadnezzar, for instance. Look at Isaiah 30. Isaiah 30. There's a prophecy of the day of the Lord in relation to Egypt. But God had to use another nation. Okay? Look at verse 1. Isaiah, I mean, Ezekiel 30 verse 1. 
Praise God. The word of the Lord came unto me saying, Son of man, prophesy and say, Thus saith the Lord, Howly, woe was the day, for the day is near. Even the day of the Lord is near. A cloudy day, it shall be the time of the heaven. And the sun shall come upon Egypt, and great pain shall be in Ethiopia. When the slain shall fall in Egypt, and they that shall take away her multitude, and her foundation shall be broken down. Look at verse 10. Of Ezekiel 30, verse 10. Thus saith the Lord, I will also make the multitude of Egypt to seize thy who? The hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Did you see that? So for God to manifest or to make true the day of the Lord, he also used Nebuchadnezzar to deal with Egypt. So the day of the Lord is not just specific only to what the New Testament was writing. It has always been there. Anytime God wants to judge a people, he raises an army to do it for him. And it's called the day of the Lord. Hallelujah. And this is the way the day of the Lord was also going to come like in the day of Peter. When Peter was speaking in Second Peter 3, when he spoke about the day of the Lord, when he discovered, he said, where is the, the day of the Lord? I was spoken. Our father's name, they died. He's talking about maybe the rest of the people, Abraham, whatever the case may be. Where then be the day of the Lord? Is that okay? The same contents. They were saying, where be the day of the Lord? You know what? Where is the judgment that they saw prophesied? Where is the judgment that Jesus spoke about? We've been living for another good 40 years when he said all of that. Praise the living God. So anytime you read about the day of the Lord, you're actually dealing with a specific judgment that will come to a people to whom that scripture is making reference to. It's not something that has to be generalized. So basically what Jesus was saying in Matthew 24 was the day of the Lord. And that is what Peter was referencing. Are you there with me? Praise the Lord. Okay. Let's move now just a little bit. And see what we got here. Okay. Let's read the scripture. Turn to Revelation. Then we'll connect again. Revelation chapter number 6. I want you to know this because very important. Look at it. As I, I mean, Revelation 6 verse number 13. And the Bible says, The stars of heaven shall fall, or heaven fell unto the earth, even as fig tree casted down timely figs, when she is shaking of a mighty wind. What happened? The stars of heaven. I tried to explain that, I'm sure, in the previous uh, section. Is that okay? Stars of heaven fell, and yet the Bible is saying they fell as if they were figs, or whatever the case may be. Alright. Now, let's go down just a little bit in relation to the judgment, because the judgment will bring down the falling of the stars. Okay. Uh, you find time to read Isaiah 34 verse 4. Isaiah 34 verse 4. But let's go back again to Isaiah 32 verse 27. And there is something there. In terms of the stars, Isaiah, I mean, Ezekiel 32 verse, uh, what verse is this? Let me see what else have here. 77? Let's see what happens here. Isaiah 32, do we have up to that? Is it there? Let's look at verse 7, I'm rather. 7 to 8, please. Isaiah 32, verse 7. And then we'll look at verse 8. Are you there? The Bible says, Ezekiel, I'm sorry. Sorry. Ezekiel 32, verse 7. Ezekiel 32, verse 7. Thank you. Look at what it says. And when I shall pull thee out. Now, remember, this out of fall, this is also talking about the fall of Egypt. 
When I shall pull thee out, I will cover the heaven and make the stars thereof dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud and the moon shall not give a light. Hmm? Remember, when I pull thee out, what is that supposed to mean? When I'm going to judge you, when I'm going to take you out of power. You know, basically Egypt was one of the, the one of the major world ruling powers in terms of civilization. You, you definitely have to have Egypt before Babylon. Is that okay? In terms of war civilization. Now God is saying, when I pull thee out, in other words, when I'm going to take you out of position. And this is what happens. He said, I, I, I will do what? I will cover the heaven, what heaven? And I will make the stars thereof dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud that the moon shall never give a light. Amen. Verse 8. All the bright lights of heaven will I make dark over thee and set darkness upon the land, say the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, if you, if you look at verse 10 to 18, you're going to see the glory of Egypt. Verse 10 to 18 of the same Ezekiel 32. You now begin to see the glory of Egypt. And God is saying, all this your glory, as it were, I'm going to take away. So the symbolism of judging this glorious nation was the taking away of the stars and the darkening of the moon. Are you following that? The judgment upon Egypt was symbolized by those things. So when you begin to read about the darkening of the stars and the moon and the heavens, you are talking about God's judgment upon the people. Like he said, when I'm going to remove you, I will cover the heavens. No more sun, no more moon. I take them all out. That's judgment upon Egypt. Hallelujah. You can read Jeremiah 4. Write it down. 23 to 25. It talks about the judgment of the Jews by Babylon. You're also going to see those things. By the sun and the moon being darkened and the heavens going out of place and things like that. You're still going to see all of that. Amen. So, so, all of this is what you find in Mighty 24. Similar symbols. Because of a truth, understand this. These people have always been listening or hearing that language before. The Jews have often heard about the sun being darkened, the moon not give a light, the heaven be taken away. It was not a new thing to them. Because the prophet were often using that. Are you there with me? So Jesus speaking in Matthew 24 verse 29. When he said immediately after the tribulation of those days, there shall be darkened the sun and the moon shall not give a light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the power of heaven shall be shaken. The Jewish people understood what Jesus was talking about. That it was a reference to judgment in Israel. Because that was not the first time they be hearing that language. For you it is strange because as a Gentile people, nobody have ever used that language for you. But these are languages that prophet Jeremiah, prophet Ezekiel, prophet uh, Isaiah, they keep using for the people. And that is exactly what Peter was saying. I remind you of what the holy prophet said. And then we the apostles and our Lord Jesus. Are you following that? Praise the living God. So when you're reading about the heavens being darkened, the stars falling, it's not dealing with astronomical stars. It's not dealing with the climate up there. It's not, no, 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 it's not dealing with any of those things. Even if there's an eclipse, it have nothing to do with the end of the world. After all, scientifically, we know what an eclipse means. We know why it happens, don't we? Praise the living God. Oh. So the language of the darkening of the stars and the moon and the heaven melting is figurative. Jesus wasn't talking about the literal heaven melting and things like that. Or natural stars falling. But what was he talking about? Like I told you before, he was dealing with the religious rulers, the authority, the... He just mentioned all of them. Sahendrins, Pharisees, priests, 
in the temple, the Levite, whatever the case may be. He was dealing with all of that. Look at about just uh, 10 minutes more. Let me see if I can still push a little bit. Amen? So these were Jewish and religious political orders, the stars of heaven. Uh, they did fail, of course, in AD 17, like I mentioned before. And don't forget, last week I reminded you, in the book of uh, Genesis, we go to Genesis 37, verse number 9. The Bible tells us precisely what stars we are supposed to be. Amen? Remember when God made a promise to Abraham, he said, your children shall be as the stars. And then the son of the seashore. How many of you remember that? Good. And in Genesis 37, we know that Joseph had a dream. And he said, 11 stars, not the moon and the stars were buying them to him. He wasn't talking about literal things, he was talking about people. So we know that stars means people. Is that alright? You're talking about 12 stars, you're talking about 12 sons of Jacob. Very precise. The sun was his father, the moon was his mother. Praise God. Amen? So that's the point. And then if you go to Revelation 12, you find that the woman had 12 stars on, on her head that gave birth to the man-child. Time will not permit me to begin to explain that to you at this moment. But the Bible said the moon was under our feet, which was a religious order, co-religious order. Because the moon takes her light from the sun. Is that alright? I don't have time for that. Go to Isaiah 13 verse 13. This one is important to us. Isaiah 13 verse 13. But do you understand what stars mean? Stars means people. Is that okay? So it says stars shall fall. We're talking about people living or being thrown out. The place of power. The place of, of authority. To be a religious political system. A religious system or political system. Figures of power and prominence. Isaiah 13 verse 13. Therefore I will shake the heavens and the earth. Shall remove out of our place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. I want to remind us that these are speaking of spiritual things. Prophetically. Is that okay? Just like we have read before. But let's read something here in the book of Hagar. Let's get on to the book of Hagar chapter 2. In Haggai chapter 2, it says, Yet once is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth, and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations. So, what is he shaking all about? He's just talking about the change of things. I want to change the system of things. I want to change the things that are operational. I want to change the thing that man depends on. Hallelujah. And anytime the things are being changed, all things are passing away, new things are coming into place. So when he shakes the heaven to remove the heaven, we're going to read more of that in the book of Hebrews. You find the same thing. Alright? Let's see if we can catch up with that. But basically, you see the writer of Hebrew actually borrowed from Haggai chapter 2. Verse number 6. When he says, Whose voice then shake the earth? Then now he has promised saying, Yet once more, I shake not the earth, but also what? Heaven. You read that in Hebrews 4? What is he shaking all about? He's just removing some things for all that things that are coming. And remember when you read the picture there, that the writer was speaking, and basically, we do believe that it was Paul that wrote the book of Hebrews. And the whole book of Hebrews was a comparison of two covenants, two priesthood, two temple, two women. Just keep reading. That's what you find. Two priesthood, Levite, Melchizedek. Two temple, physical temple, the body of Christ, as the case may be. Two Jerusalem, physical Jerusalem, heavenly Jerusalem. Two women, Haggai, Sarah. Two laws, old covenant, new covenant. This is where you find the book of Hebrew. It was a comparison of two covenants. So when he says that he's shaking, what he simply means is he's shaking away the old covenant in order to establish what? The new covenant. That's what he was writing about. 
So what was the old heaven that was going away? The rituals of Judaism. The temple of Judaism. Everything that was to be done or that has to do with the religion of the Jews was what God said he was going to shake away. And he borrowed that language from the book of Haggai chapter number 2. Amen. I got this right. Because there's something I want to read. In a moment. But one thing is important. The book of Hebrew was written in AD 63. Between 63 and 67. So we're looking about. Between some 6 and 9 and 7 years. Before the destruction of Jerusalem. In AD 70. Okay. Because you see. When you read the book of Hebrews. And even in Hebrews chapter 8. It talks about. That which is to vanish. Which is ready to vanish away. How many of you remember the word ready? If you take them to read Hebrews chapter 8. Say that which is about to vanish away. Is ready to vanish away. The word ready meaning. The time is short. Okay. Let's just go on a little bit. Look at Hebrews 12. And 26 and 28. Let's look at these two verses. Oh. Four verses. Okay, two verses. Hebrews 12, 26, 28. And this word, yet once more, signified the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things we cannot be shaken, may what? May remain. And then I said, wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. So, it's a comparison of a system and then the establishment of another system. The shaking makes us receive. Hallelujah. Did you get that? When the old system is shaking away, the new system is coming to us. That's what he's saying. And don't forget, he borrowed all of this. Just write it down. Haggai chapter 2, 21 to 28. Look at what he said there. Write it down. Haggai chapter 2, 21, 22. Let me read that. He said, I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow the kingdoms and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heaven. Did you get that? Praise the living God. In this particular passage of Haggai chapter 2, 21 to 22, when he talked about shaking the heavens and overthrowing kingdoms, he was actually talking about the restoration of Israel from the dominion of other nations. So anytime God talks about shaking, he's shaking the people and you're not allowed to establish a people. So he's not dealing with I'm going to vibrate this out. And we're not talking about earthquake anywhere. It's a crazy way of thinking. Man. But when God shakes the nation, he removes people in power and establishes other people. That's what God does. So here in Haggai, I was talking about the, you see there? The kingdoms and the strength of the kingdoms of the heaven shall be shaken away. That's what he said there. So when in Hebrews, now the writer of Hebrews is borrowing the same language. So when I say, yeah, for we're receiving what? A kingdom. Witness, he's shaking away the power of the Judaism worship and establishing the kingdom of Christ. That's why I say, yeah, for we're receiving what? A kingdom. It is the shaking that makes the kingdom to be established. And for you, there are some things that have to be shaken out of your life for God's kingdom to be what? To be established. That's what he's talking about. So it's not something about tomorrow. It took place. And if we may want to add, it's taking place. It's not a tomorrow affair. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, if you read that passage already in Hebrews chapter 2, he now came down and said, Zerubbabel is going to be my signet. What he's trying to say is, Zerubbabel shall be a type of a Messiah that has authority, just like Joachim was a signet in the hand of God. 
Did you find out there? Hmm? In Haggai chapter 2. Okay. So we're talking about the coming of Christ that make the possibility of all these things to come to be. In other words, when Christ begins to come, the old is going away. Is that alright? Praise the living God. Now you need to understand that and the whole of this process, like the Hebrew people, uh, I mean, the book of Hebrew, for instance, Hebrew chapter 8, for instance, verse 11, oh, let's say verse 13, for instance, let's just look at that. Hebrews 8, verse 13. And it said, In that he said, a new covenant he had made, the first old. Now that which he decayed, and which works old, is ready to vanish away. Now the word ready is very important in Hebrews chapter 8 verse 13. In that he said a new covenant. It means it's making the other one old. And it's not just old. He said it's decaying. It's not only decaying. It's ready. So what's this? As long as the tabernacle was still standing, the fullness of the new order was not in place. Is that Okay. So when he's saying he's decaying, it was right from when Jesus was crucified, Pentecost time, there was a gradual decaying of the old order. And the fullness of the decay and the total vanishing away was when the temple was destroyed in AD 70. Hallelujah. I was reading the story, I tried to study on this thing and Time will not permit us to explain all of that. But Vaspatian was supposed to be the father of General Titus. Actually came to Jerusalem. You know, to invade the place. And when they came and they found that there was a news that came that Nero died at home and there was political upheaval. They went back home. That's when they pulled out their states. And all those who got to know about what Jesus said, they left the city. And by the time they settled, instead of him coming back, he sent his son, General Titus. Titus was his son under the major general that came the first time. But when Nero died and there was trouble in Rome, they all went back home to settle the injury that was going on. And then he sent back General Titus to finish what they were supposed to do. So between that interval, as when they left, that's when all those who believe the word of Jesus begin to leave Jerusalem. They all left before General Titus returned. Amen? So now, when General Titus came and destroyed everything down to the temple, and as soon as that is done, there was no more Levitical priesthood. Because the point is, for you to officiate as a Levite in the temple, you must trace your genealogy. And all of those things were kept on record in the temple as the case may be. Everything was wiped out. So now, no priest can function. And there is no place for you to do what? To function in. So that order left. That's what Hebrew is talking about. It's ready to vanish away. When it says ready, it simply means it's very close. Some three years from now, Jerusalem will be destroyed. It is the same announcement that was being given, basically, to Jewish Christians. Amen? Hallelujah. Let me show you this vanishing. See, I have just a few seconds or so. Hebrews chapter 8. I mean chapter 9 verse number 8. Look at it. What I'm trying to explain here. Hebrews 9 verse number 8. It says, The Holy Ghost this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. Why are the false tabernacles all yet standing? Did you see it? As long as the false tabernacle was standing, the movement or the opportunity into the most holy place was not yet made available. In other words, for you to move into the most holy place, the temple must come down. So the removing of the temple was done by, you can say by the Romans, but basically by God. But God used the Romans, just like God used the kidneys that to deal with Egypt. Did you find that as we read before? And that is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord came to Jerusalem using the Roman soldiers. That was a coming of the Lord. And that is what the people were scoffing. When is the promise of his coming? Oh, he said it was going to come in judgment. So where is it? Because we have the day of the Lord. In fact, what we should be talking about 
It's not just the day of the Lord. In the New Testament, we should be talking about the day of Christ. Just like we have the day of God or the day of the Lord in the Old Testament. We should be talking about the day of Christ. Which means the time Christ was going to come in judgment. How did he come? He got to use the Roman soldiers on Jerusalem. Praise the living God. So we find that though Christ was inaugurating a new order, this was not fulfilled until the temple was what? Destroyed in AD 70. And so Hebrews, like we read before, 8.13 now says, that we decayed is ready to do what? To vanish away. Hallelujah. So once the temple is brought down, just like Hebrews 9.8 is saying, as long as the temple is standing, the way into the most holy have not been made available. Therefore, for us to move into the most holy place, for you and I to approach God and speak to God without going through the Judaism system, that temple must what? Come down. And like I said before, even after Jesus was killed in 30 AD, for another generation, biblically speaking, a generation is how many years? 40 years. Now watch it. Jesus died AD 30. Jerusalem fell what? AD 70. How many years is that? Okay. Mighty 24 verse 34. What did he say? This generation shall not pass. See all these things be fulfilled. So everything Jesus said and called on what? AD 70. The generation that he spoke to. And this is precisely what Peter was talking about in Second Peter chapter 3. About the war that then was. To which the scoffer was saying, where be the promise of his coming? The scoffers will be saying, where is the promise of his coming? Which he said. In other words, and God is saying, God have long suffering that no should do what? Should perish. In other words, between that 40 years, if they could only hack into what God said, what the Lord said, what the apostles were saying, all of them would be able to escape from what titles was going to do. That's a long suffering. So the long suffering was 40 good years that God had for the Jewish people. Are you sitting there with me, somebody? He's not really talking about your age. He's talking about the age that is already passed. 2,000 years ago. So, when people preach this and put it in your age, man, they are misapplying the scriptures. You can apply it if God speaks to you about judgment. I'm not, I'm not saying it can't happen. It sure can't happen, but not what Peter said. I remember sometime when we started in fellowship in Atiyah today, and uh, I remember we used to go out preaching the night because most of them were farmers, so in the night we take lantern at about, we go out witnessing by around Seven, eight, nine. We take our lantern. No light in the city. The bushland, we just move to houses and we share and things like that. And we see a lot of them when trying to make ridicule of the things we're doing and things like that. Few were coming. People were embracing what we're doing. But some of the top people were making some statement. And one night the Lord told me there was going to be a judgment at the center of the city. And he really did care. At that season, two major people died. Alright? Because of their attitude towards what was going on. It can. But I'm saying, what Peter is saying, it's not something you have to be looking for. Can I hear any to that? It did happen. It got concluded in AD 70. You need to understand that. Praise the living God. So this is what about the falling of stars from heaven. We're still going to be dealing with that a little bit. Other issues. I want to treat the book of Revelation. But I have to go into this now. Because of the question that somebody asked. After our last subject. When we're treating with the stars falling from heaven. So heaven is not dealing with up there where Jesus was saying. And I keep on reminding you. Don't be deceived into thinking that there was a creature called Lucifer. That was up somewhere. And he started wrestling with God. He want to take the place of God. It's so stupid. Is that okay? Praise the living God. We have time to deal with all of that. Well, like I always say, if you really want to understand who Lucifer was, you just go back and start reading the book of Isaiah chapter 13 down to 14. Then you understand precisely that God was just speaking lamentationally. It was a lamentation about the fall of King Nebuchadnezzar. 
Just like he used him to deal with Egypt, God also used other nations to deal with him. Babylon came down. Greece had to come in. Medopatia. Things like that. Praise the living God. So when stars are falling, basically, it's in reference to political or religious authority that are coming down, which has to do with the shaking of the heavens so that God can establish a new thing. So Peter said, we are also looking for a new heaven and a new earth. What it means to say, the old heaven and the old earth was what? Were passing away. What is it supposed to mean? The religious system of the Jews was going. We are embracing the fullness of Christ. Which is what Hebrew writer also said. I will shake the heaven and the earth. And then the old heaven is passed away. And I'm establishing new. And when that has happened, the Bible says, and we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be war shaken. God bless you. God bless you.